Uh, Abba Father, um, uh, just thank you. Thank you for letting me be with these people. Just being with my family in, in your son Jesus calms my spirit. And what a privilege to teach and to share with them what you've given to me. And I ask for your favor on this time that you teach us, open up our hearts to these to these truths, the teaching of your word about money. Lord, I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to read a quote just to kind of get this thing flowing. And I am quoting, Costi, get over here now. With a jolt, I quickly turned to look behind me. I was in the green room at a healing crusade mere inches away from a bowl of Cheez-Its with plans to devour them by the handful. But instead, I was busted. It was my father hollering at me, and he was worked up into a frenzy. Oral Roberts is about to leave, and he is waiting to lay hands on you. What are you doing here? The power of God is about to hit this place. Hurry, he commanded. As we rushed down the stadium hallway, the scolding continued. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be prayed for by the greatest man of God to ever live, besides your uncle. Don't let me catch you back here. I am quoting. Do not let me catch you back here again. This is a quote from Kosti W. Hinn, the son of Tovki Benedictus Hinn, otherwise known as Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn is quoted in the same paragraph. I am a sample of Jesus. I am a super being. All right. Now I bring that up to tell you um, there is lots of confusion about money and giving and prosperity in the church today. And uh, you know, there, there's a video clip I, I saw um, Benny Hinn screaming at the top of his lungs that money was going to come toward him. And he's engaging in, in really powerful psychological principles in, in trying to force wealth. And, and when you see this stuff, it breaks your heart. There's all kinds of confusion on this stuff, okay? What's going to happen this morning is we're going to take a jump into this. What if we just looked at the text and let the text stand on its own two feet? What if we did that? And we got, we got away from de denominational filtering <clears throat> or big powerful personalities uh, on either side. What if we just let God's word stand for itself? That's what we're going to do, all right? Now, you know, if you know anything, Christ Church is where you come to learn. I dare you to think. I dare you to interrupt me and ask questions. Please do that. I love it. It's fun. Uh, uh, I want you to learn. I dare you to think. I dare you to ask questions. This is not, you, you don't come here to sit and shut up and, and let me do the thinking for you. It's just the opposite. So with that in mind, what's a little Hebrew? It doesn't hurt anybody to know Hebrew. What are some terms that center around the idea of generosity, giving, tithing, etc.? In the Old Testament, a generosity is biracha, and it means to bless. It's blessing, to give, to give a gift, to sign a treaty of peace. All right, money is kesef. It can mean silver, uh, a, a, a white shiny piece of metal, a shekel, a talent, okay, Allah. 
to offer. Really, it means to lift up, to lift up or move towards, move something towards God. Okay, korban, korban. It, it means to bring near to the altar. Korban can mean also uh, to dedicate. All right. So, so certain people are korban. They get to they get to be inside the sanctuary. They're holy men, right? Or certain things can be inside. They're holy. Korban, they're dedicated. They've been brought near to the altar. Regarding sacrifice, that is zivach, with a V sound, zivach. means to kill or slay, to offer, to offer a, 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 like a burnt offering or sacrificial offering. Also mincha in Hebrew. It, it's a present. It's a gift. It's a sacrifice or an animal. And meser. Meser means a tenth. Okay. So those are some terms that are used in the Old Testament that describe this thing of giving, generosity, offerings, etc., both regarding material possessions or uh, animals. Okay, in the New Testament, uh, generosity, you—that means good, eumetadastos—to to be ready to part with it, to give freely, to be willing to be liberal, to be generous. Okay. A gurion, gurion, money, silver, shekel, a duron, an offering. This is, this is just the standard language of, of giving something, bringing something to somebody else. Prasphara, the act of offering to bring. Uh, thusia, sacrifice, a victim, the animal that is killed and laid on the altar. Jesus is a sacrifice. And then the tithe. Abadektaron, a tithe, literally from a tenth or, 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 or of a tenth part of something like that, okay? So those are some of the terms, Old and New Testament. Let's dig in. This is, a, this is kind of a rock and shock. If you're, if you're like me, all you've ever heard is, is tithing, tithing 10%. When you calculate all the required, now these are required, they're not optional, all the laws written in the Old Testament to give, you see that there's seven. Forced labor under the monarchy. If the king said, you, 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 you're working, you did it. You did not have an option. It was conscription, forced labor, royal taxation, emergency tribute in wartime, the temple tax, which everyone paid regardless if you were rich or poor, you had to pay that tax. The gleaning in the fields to be left over for the poor. Uh, during the sabbatical years and jubilee, the first fruits tithe and other voluntary offerings and the mandatory triple tithe, that all comes to about 23.3%. That's if it went well with Israel. 23% tithing every year if it went well. If it was a year of profound distress, it could be upwards to 35% or more. Do you understand? So if you're going to get your mind around tithing in the Old Testament perspective, you're looking at a default setting of 23%, not 10%. If you make 100 bucks, you tithe 10, 10 bucks. That's 10%. 23 is way higher. All right. So let's look at this. In walking through the principles, and, I've, and I've, I wanted to just give you God's word, okay? That's my goal is to just share God's word. So law number one, and I'm calling this a law principle. A law, it's mandatory, you have to comply, but it's a principle because it's a way of life. 
So why, what about the tithing and the material obligation laws in the Old Testament? Why are they there? Number one, to teach Israel the fear of the Lord. So, uh, from, for example, in Exodus 30, this is very, very unusual. Perhaps, maybe this is the first time you're going to hear this. The rich shall not pay more and the poor shall not pay less than a half shekel. When you give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Have you ever thought about giving money to make atonement for yourselves? That's actually in the law that you do that. All right. In Leviticus 27.30, Thus, all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or the fruit of the tree, it's the Lord's. It's holy. And so these tithing rules, these laws, are designed to teach Israel to fear God. In fact, it specifically says this in Deuteronomy 14. He's describing the tithes, quote-unquote, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Psalm 110, or 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a good understanding of all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. There's a story about David. David had sinned, and Israel was being judged, and, and a terrible pestilence was covering the land, and people were dying. And David has to move quickly to make the wrong right. And he goes and he finds this threshing floor and these oxen and all these wooden implements of this man named Ornan. And he goes up to Ornan, and, and Ornan knows who he is. He's David the king. And Ornan says, he says, Ornan, give me the site of this threshing floor that I may build an altar to the Lord for the full price you shall give it to me that the plague may be restrained from the people. Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let my lord the king do whatever is good in his own sight. And he, Ornan said, I want to give it for free. And David says, no, I will surely buy it for the full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord or a burnt offering that costs me nothing. There's a problem there. When we're engaging in behaviors, trying to make things right with God or, or something like that, and it costs us nothing. These laws are designed to teach the fear of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 31, the sons of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought tithes of oxen and sheep and the tithes of sacred gifts, which were consecrated to the Lord. Remember uh, the word korban in Hebrew? It means to, to bring near, kind of set apart, and bring it to a special place. That, that's what that means, korban. It's concentrated, or con concentrated, yeah, like so. It's consecrated, and it is literally dedicated to God, and they place them in heaps. Regarding the fear of, fear of God, Malachi writes this. How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. That's 23%. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me now, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven to pour out a blessing until it overflows. So principle law. Principle number one, to teach Israel to fear the Lord. Number two, to teach Israel the spiritual formula of the curse blessing. 
This is based on Deuteronomy 27, 28. I will not read that now. The entire chapter of Deuteronomy 27 is all the curses that will fall on Israel if they break the law. Chapter 28, all the blessings that will fall on Israel if they keep the law. It's the curse blessing formula. And, and that makes sense in our minds, right? Bad people do bad things and get bad things. Good people do good things and get good things. It makes sense to our mind, and we're New Testament Gentiles. Um, this was a driving principle in Israeli culture. Proverbs eleven twenty four regarding giving. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. Teach God, uh, teach Israel to fear God, and number two, teach Israel the spiritual formula of the cursed blessing, the law of consequence. Law principle three, to teach Israel the principle of the innocent cleansing the soul of the guilty. Isaiah 53, an innocent man, a man who did not sin, will be like a lamb led to the slaughter. His name is Jesus. And the judgment of God fell on him, and through him our iniquities are forgiven. This is called the gospel. That's why you have the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. It began in Genesis 3.15, when God made animal, coats of animal skins to cover Adam and Eve. An animal died to cover them. That's the first reference in the scripture of an animal dying to benefit a human. Do you understand this? The first time in scriptures when an animal's death is intended to benefit a human and they were covered with animal skins. Does that, can you hear an echo of the gospel in this? That it's the death of Jesus and his blood that covers us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 53, John 1:29. John the baptizer says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's also verse 35. So to teach Israel the principle of the innocent cleansing the soul of the guilty. Number four, the law principle to provide for the members of the Levitical priesthood who were a tribe of Israel that was not given land as an inheritance. All right? You need to know this about Israeli culture. If you don't own land, you are by default poor. This is, this is the Israeli mindset. Uh, Israel is based on real estate. I'm giving you a promised land. If you don't have land, you're homeless, and by default, you're poor. All right? That includes the widow who lost her husband and does not have inheritance rights. That includes an orphan, no inheritance rights, no parents. And that includes the, the, the poor and the alien, the stranger. All right? But it also includes the Levitical priest. They were not given real estate. And they were dependent upon Israel to provide for them. Deuteronomy twelve nineteen. Be careful that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in the land. Deuteronomy regards the, uh, the Levite as vulnerable. All right, law principle number five. The laws of tithing, material obligation, are given to provide for the poor. I've already mentioned this. The orphan and the widow and the stranger, that includes cleaning the fields. That includes uh, Deuteronomy 26, 13. You shall say before the Lord, I have removed the sacred portion from my house so that you may give it to the alien. 
the orphan and the widow. All right, number six, to teach Israel that God, his personal name is Yahweh, is the owner and provider of all things. The owner and provider of all things. Psalm 57 and 12, it's a beautiful section of the psalm where it says that God says, look, if I were hungry, I wouldn't come to you and ask for food. He says, I own everything. I own it all. I own all the wheat. I own, I, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Isaiah 40, 48, 17. I am the Lord your God. I teach you how to profit. So even things, even the talents and abilities that God gave Israel, the skilled craftsmen, those were gifts by God so that a man cannot boast that he's literally, utterly dependent on the owner and provider of all things, which is Yahweh. What about the New Testament? What about this? I'm going to call this a grace principle, okay? Because the New Testament is about grace and the Old Testament is about law, and it's really good to not mix that up, okay? So let's keep it clear. What does the New Testament say about giving generosity material obligation? Number one, Christian generosity is based on the example of Jesus. All right? Are we Jesus followers? Sure. Of course we are. That's why we're called Christians. All right? Matthew 18, or Matthew 10, 8, Jesus tells his disciples, freely you received, freely give. Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Luke twenty two twenty seven. Who's greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. Acts twenty thirty five. By the way, this is the only reference of Jesus teaching teaching in Scripture that is not recorded in the Gospels. You don't find Acts twenty thirty five in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Uh, and Jesus says this. Paul is quoting and says. It is more blessed to give than receive. That's something Jesus taught. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is beautiful. 2 Corinthians 8.9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. And though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. You remember the text of Philippians chapter 2. Let this attitude be in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to grab at, but instead took the form of a servant, being formed and fashioned like a man. He became obedient unto death. Death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him. All right. He was rich and yet became poor. Grace principle number two. Christian generosity is based on eschatological hope. Okay, Bible quiz. Ready, students? What does the word eschatology mean? End time. End time. Boom. Way to go. Who's your, who's your mom? That's just too cool. All right. It means the end times. Eschatology, the end times, when, when God's going to divvy out rewards, right? When there's going to be judgment, when the kingdom of heaven and, and earth collapse in and, and heaven and earth are made new, and we all live happy ever after, okay? The end times, eschatology. Christian generosity is based on eschatological hope that there is something coming. 
that is greater than who we are right here, right now. There's something coming where all wrongs will be made right. No more tears. It's amazing. It's coming. It's a concept of sowing and reaping because there's going to be a future harvest, a coming reward. That was so real in the mind of Jesus that he said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's eschatological hope. There's something coming that's so great it's going to make all the wrongs on earth seem trivial. Matthew 5, 11, 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely on account of me, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. There's hope. Matthew 6, 2, 4. Watch this one. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men here on earth, right here, right now. Instead, I tell you, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's hope. Christian generosity is based on hope. It's also based on giving from the heart with purpose. Giving from the heart with purpose. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. The command is this, the, the instructive by Paul is this. Each one of you must do just as he's purposed in his heart, her heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want to walk through just a little bit of the Greek here on this. All right, so each, each of you, ekastos, each of you, kathos, each of you do this thing, each of you do this thing. I want you to purpose, purpose, cardia, purpose in your heart. The idea, this, by the way, it's a middle voice verb. You know what that means? It means you need to do this because it's good for yourself. You're making a decision to benefit yourself by giving from your heart not under legal compulsion. This is about grace and not about law. All right. Next principle from the New Testament on giving. Christian generosity is planning to give and giving is planned. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, what I want you to do is set some money aside as you have prospered so that when I arrive, no collection has to be made. Set money aside. Plan to give, give as planned, is what he's asking. Again, it has to do with doing things from the heart, purposing to do that. Grace principle number five, Christians give to support support God's servants, pastors in the mission of the church. It's important, I'm not sure if these verses are, you're familiar with these. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, so also the Lord directed that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Paul writes in Galatians 6.6, 6, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches. And then Paul writes in verse 5, the elders who rule well are, be, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For it is written, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. This is particularly beautiful. 
grace principle number six, giving is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Can you see how we're moving away from an Old Testament legal idea? Can you see this? This is beautiful. Listen to these two stories about worship. Mark 14, while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster, alabaster vial of very costly perfume, a pure nard. She broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii. That's almost a year's wage. And the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. She has worshipped me. She's treated me as I deserve. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for my burial, for the burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of her in memory. Giving is an act of worship according to gratefulness. Listen to the story in Luke 7. Jesus was in the home of another, another guest. And the guest says, Simon, uh, says to Jesus, I have something to ask of you. Jesus says, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you've judged correctly. Turning to the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your home. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. By the way, you would never put perfume on feet. You would only put it on the head the body part of honor, not the feet. Did you know that the, the task of washing somebody's feet was so menial that the lowest of Jewish classes were, who were slaves were forced to do that? And at times, uh, the, the, the poorest of the poor would do that. You just didn't put perfume on feet. You just wouldn't do it. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. Christian generosity is an act of worship according to gratefulness. Christian attitudes and practices with money should reflect the values of the kingdom of God. Okay? And this, this is heavy. Um, in Matthew 6, 21, Jesus taught, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, here's what happens. Um, 
Can I pick on the politically correct people for just a minute? Not that you're here. Certainly don't be here politically correct. But you know, you know these political correct people where you, you can't offend them about anything, you can't say anything offensive, and it's like all grace, absurd grace, radically accept everything for everyone, and don't take a hard position or line on anything because you might offend somebody. Do you know this folk? Okay. It's interesting that they will become furious if their pay is off. Do you get what I'm saying? Right? Even the politically correct, who are liberal in the most extreme forms of liberalism, can be the one bawling out the billing representative on the phone, <coughs> screaming because they got the bill wrong and my pay is wrong and you owe me, you owe me. In other words, there's something about money and numbers that really, really kind of bring out some things inside of us, right? It's all, we're all good about grace as long as it doesn't cost us anything. Grace is great if it didn't cost you. But all of a sudden when grace, or, or when, when something's going to cost you and there's dollar amounts involved and we're, we've got to make the numbers add up and we think it's off and it's in their favor and not our favor, the bill is off, we paid more than we should have, etc. We are on the phone and we can light it up with anger and wrath if we got, got the money off, right? Surely you've never had those conversations, surely not. Jesus, knowing the heart of men and women, used money issues to make most of his teachings about the kingdom. Did you understand this? He knew that there's something about money that gets, it's like a PET scan. It's like a, it's like a CAT scan. It just gets down to what's really inside of us. Money does, it just reveals what's in there. Okay? And I mean, talk about getting mad. Wow, we can light up about money. How about having a good old fight with your spouse about the budget? Boy, it'll, it'll come out, right? Jesus knows that. And so many of his parables, many of his teachings are about money because he knows that gets right to the root of the human condition that we can be profoundly selfish and greedy and absolutely carnal when it comes to stuff we think we deserve. So he used money the topic of money as a way to teach about the kingdom, and he believes Christians should reflect the values of the kingdom. Therefore, he says, where your treasure is there, your heart be also. So you make sure that your eye raise in heaven. Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field. A man found it, hid it again, <laughs> And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. And what that parable teaches us, if you could get your mind around just how incredible the kingdom is, you'd do everything you can to get it. You would liquidate all assets to get the kingdom, which of course is Jesus Christ. A kid comes up to him and says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, to commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this young man said to him, Lord, I have done all these things. Teacher, I have kept these things from my youth up. It's an incredible youth group that produced that in him. <laughs> Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said, I'm doing a PET scan, Holy, Holy Spirit PET scan. Casking on you, and we got a tumor. And I know exactly what it is. It's money. So he says, one thing you lack, 
Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened. Anyway, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He found the treasure, thought what he owned was worth more than the kingdom of God, didn't sell what he had, and he walked away from it. Jesus, in response, says how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. By the way, there's a tender moment in this story in Mark uh, when Peter says, the Lord who can be saved, and Jesus says, with, all thing, uh, with, with God, all things are possible. Peter said to him, he said, Lord, we left everything and followed you. We did find the pearl. We liquidated our assets, and we, we, we went after you. We, did, we found the treasure in the field. We sold it. We've fallen on you. We've left it all. And Jesus said, and, and then he goes, what's in it for us? <laughs> That's really what he said. Where's the eschatological hope? Jesus said to Peter, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children. Can you imagine leaving your children for the kingdom of God or farms? For my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive, she will receive a hundred times as much in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with the persecutions and the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. There is eschatological hope. He told this story about the kingdom. They sat down next to the opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting in money into the treasury and how many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent, calling his disciples to him. He said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all the contributions or the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. There is a core conviction that our attitude towards money should reflect the kingdom of God. And this woman proved that she was dependent upon God. Look at this value of the kingdom. Luke 14, 28. Which one of you when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it. You remember the parable, Luke 19, of the nobleman that went on a journey and gave money to his servants and then came back to, to give an account. And the first one said, you gave me five, I made five more. The second one, you gave me three, I made three more. And the last one says, I knew that you really weren't a fair man. <laughs> And you have an attitude problem chipping your shoulders. So I just put mine in a handkerchief and I buried it. And of course, you know how bad that worked out. Our attitude towards money reflect the values of the kingdom of God. There is a telling story in the book of Acts about money and lying. It goes like this. Uh, by the way, in, in Acts 2, revival breaks out in Jerusalem at such a level that all the Christians, all who were born again, began to be so inspired, and they believed that Jesus was coming back literally within the day. 
that they liquidated all their assets and gave it to the disciples to, to feed the poor and do mission work by. Okay? And people were just liquidating all their assets. Okay? Well, this man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And they kept back some of the price for himself and herself with his wife's full knowledge. And they brought a portion of it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your, your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You have not, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. And he dropped dead in the judgment of God. The issue wasn't about the money. The issue was about deceiving God. The issue was about saying, well, look at me, I'm giving a hundred, I, I, I sold this for a hundred dollars, look, I'm giving a hundred bucks. And yet, he didn't, he sold it for more than that and he lied to get social honor for a sacrifice he didn't make. Oh, kind of reminds you of David's story when he was talking to Ornan. I am not gonna offer to God what doesn't cost me something. His wife, caught up in the same lie, comes in, not knowing what happened to her husband, and experiences the same form of judgment because she agreed to lie and put the Lord to the test. Number eight, Christian generosity teaches Christians that God, again, is the owner and the provider of all things. 625 to 34 in, in Matthew's gospel. This reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you put on. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing. Uh, clothing. I'll stop there with that. Um, can you just appreciate that there's a hope? Christians live with a view of hope. The, the great good is coming in the end. And Christian believes Christians believe that God would not forsake them in the right here, in the right now. The stories about feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000 are all intended to prove this to us. Paul writes in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And here is probably one of the most salient texts in the New Testament about the belief that God will provide Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says this, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Look at this. Look at these uh, things. Do you see any parallels? There are actually several. You are the gifted body of Christ. Behold the teaching of God's word on tithing, offerings, generosity, material obligation in both the Old and New Testaments and how we as followers of Jesus have responsible, responsibilities to give. 
You're the body of Christ. By the way, do you have any questions? That might be a good thing. Do you have any questions about giving, finances, or anything? Anybody? Well, I think there's one point to, to notice the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, not only you know, was your tithing and giving uh, an expression of your faith, but you weren't just supporting the work of, you know, use uh, the lack of better terminology, you know, the church. Yes. You were also supporting the government. Because yes, it, it <laughs> yes, is, you are. In Israeli life, yes, you know, Gover- Israeli government, yes. The faith in the church, the faith in the country, were one. Absolutely, you separate and, and so you had to recognize that you were doing both. Yes, you were support- supporting God's kingdom. Yeah, yeah, as well as supporting God's the faith. That's good. And yeah. we've made the transition away from this, yes. you know, current context. Separation of church and state. Yes, we have. We're, we're now supporting each other. Yes. Yeah, in fact, Rick, that is such a hot issue that some Pharisees came up and said, and said, should we pay the, the, the tax to, to Caesar? Yeah. And Jesus, whose, whose face is on that coin? You remember that story? And Jesus brilliantly said, hey, you, what you owe to God, you pay God. What you owe to man, you owe to man. You pay to Caesar. Yeah, exactly. So, someone else, questions? Or any insight about giving in the church and how that, uh, how this is the, the, the ministry and the, uh, the gift and response of the generosity as Christians. Anybody? Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you, Joseph. You were wise for a young man. That was good. That was really good. By the way, you need you need to keep this in your you know on the front lobes here. You know what did James chapter two verse ten say about keeping the law? That if you're going to keep the law, how many do you have to keep? All of them. All of them. Okay. Then do you want to start tithing at twenty three point three percent? That's if it goes well that year, by the way. That's if things go well in Israel. Okay. So we have to be careful uh, about the law and using the law as a means to, to make it right with God or to somehow, somehow arm twist God into to giving us the good life. Um, I didn't read this to you, but, but in uh, the New Testament, the three times Jesus mentions tithing, it's done in a scathing criticism of the Pharisees. You tithe of mint and cumin and dill. By the way, it, even the, the, uh, 
Josephus in his writings, the Antiquities and other writings, talk about how there's a time in Israeli culture in New Testament times when they were, they were tithing on the most insignificant, even herbs, not even the good stuff like the basil or something like that, you know. Just this ins- min- tithing over the minutia. And he said, you think that you're right with God because you tithe over minute things, but you are neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And then the story about two men going to the temple, the, the Pharisee and the public and the tax collector. And the tax collector was hated because this is the businessman that's looking for a buck. And he decides to bid on a contract that he can extract X number of dollars out of Jerusalem. And so he gets the bid. The local governor from Rome awards him the bid. Now he's got to get his $5,000 out of everybody out of Israel. And anything over that is his profit. And so when it's time to go and meet with the publican to pay your taxes, they know they're being overcharged. They hated them. They hated tax collectors. They were Jews siding with Rome. Insiders who were corrupt. So the Pharisee and the tax collector go to the temple. And the Pharisee says, I am so glad I'm... By the way, this is how Jewish males pray. I am so glad that I'm not like that guy and... (laughs) And I keep your rules, and I don't commit adultery, and I don't steal his bed, and I tithe, and I fast twice a week, twice a week. And then the camera goes to this guy. Ed, can you imagine seeing that scene? And he, he can't pray in an Israeli posture. He does this, and he starts hitting his chest. He won't even lift up his eyes toward heaven. And he says, I'm not even worthy. And then Jesus said, who left justified? As you go through the New Testament, as the Christian church is is developing, who was that? Who was that money going to? I assume they're not giving to the temple as these house churches. As just Christianity starts to spread, and they're still being called to give. Is that just give amongst? amongst your each other support the yes yeah so Daniel the money that was given in Acts 2 Acts 2 3 4 5 is given to provide food for the poor and underwrite the expenses of mission work is what it was yeah you know modern giving has become so over legalized probably because we all have budgets these days yeah this is how we've decided that we want to run church and it is what it is the joy of giving is lost under the legal pounding and I don't think anybody besides me I don't know I've never been anywhere besides this place where you don't hear about it every week and whack you over the head with it then they'll hit you with scripture to try to back up the fact that we're throwing the basket at you to get a budget paid it's hard to remember the joy and the worship act there when you're basically treating Christian giving like you treat your monthly electric bill. Yeah. And you got to pay it, and all right, here it comes. But I've had to remind myself that anything given to God from the heart will be rewarded. Mm-hmm. It's back hope. doesn't matter. I mean, even to the point that it doesn't matter what's done with it after I am. If I'm giving it with the heart motive, yeah. be rewarded. That's beautiful. Spirit spoken, Mason. Because I think that we all have been in a place where we perceive something. And if we can come into the place of giving 
and remember where we were when we were given something. Um, I mean, there there are times where it's been given to me that changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe makes an incredible point where when I treat it like my electrical bill, that mindset goes totally away. And it's, well, here's another chunk of my budget that I don't get to spend on hobbies or tools or fun things. And I've learned a lot from you and Dr. Andrew's class. And one thing I've learned is that uh, lots of times my actions have to come before my feelings, meaning uh, Christ talks about it in uh, Matthew when he says, you cannot serve two masters. Um, for you will either love the one and hate the other, or you will despise the one and be devoted to the other. For you cannot serve both God and money. And so lots of times I have to, even though I feel like taking that money and using it towards something that I want to, selfishly, because I want to serve me, I have to, if I force myself to then use it to give it away, then it draws my attitude or my feelings from wanting to serve me into wanting to serve God and serve others because then I begin to experience the joy they talk about that comes from giving where it's a greater blessing to give than to receive even though my first feeling before the action was different from after the action. You're referring to Generosity is an act of grateful worship. Uh, let me. Can I give you an idea of what gratefulness can, can look like here? This is pure rhetoric. Nobody raise your hand. <laughs> Don't you dare. Can you imagine if we took, let's just pick on one of you, whoever you are, we're picking on you right now. And we took every sin you've committed, things done in secret, your lies, the relationships you've damaged, and I'm talking the nasty that nobody knows, okay? And we're going to put it on these screens. And you're forced to look at it in a public setting. Would you be humiliated? Would you be embarrassed? Don't raise your hand. Of course, yeah. Of course, of course we are, right? Do you want that to happen? How horrific that would be? What if you realized that all of your sins have been forgiven and all the data banks, all the servers have been cleansed? There's nothing in there about you and the sins that you've committed. Would you be grateful? We just described the woman who was crying, wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair. Grateful. So you who are forgiven little and think that lucky God, he's got you. Tithing may not be a big deal or giving may not be a big deal. But when you are broken and you see what has been given to you, then all of a sudden gratefulness and generosity based on gratefulness can become a deep act of worship. It sure can. Time is getting away. Uh, 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 Yes. Two jobs to just get by, and somebody's kind of tagging onto that that whole idea. 
start before, and then usually it'll just come along. And that was it. Someone much wiser than I was at the time, and um, and she just said, "Yeah, that's the first check that I write." Back, you know, when we did checks. Um, what's what's that? <laughs> you know, and I mean, and I looked at her, and I was just, I was so confused by that because I'm, you know, I was looking at the bills, and I was, you know, I just couldn't do it, I couldn't make it, but I, I just trusted what she was doing, I just yeah. did it, oh. and then it's grown over the years, and it just that is, and I finally understood that statement. Yes, Malachi 3, yes. Prove it. Uh, and he doesn't ask you to test him in anything else. He says, try it. Try it out, give me. Yeah. Try and give more than I can give you. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you, Todd. And it's getting really late. Um, I need to tell you this. Um, so you all know that, that I do counseling. Okay? And God, boy, God's favor is on this thing. And it's it's... We're organizing at his Grace Counseling Clinic, and we're adding people to the team. And uh, Tammy Perkins is officially serving as my care manager, case manager, and so she's managing my appointments. And already, it's it's better. Thank you, Tammy. And and I know you didn't plan on that public shout out, but yay, Tammy Perkins! She's wonderful. So uh, really, really love what Tammy's doing. Um, so here's what's happened. Uh, there were about five clients that I provided really critical clinical level counseling to for quite some time. I had no idea, but they were very wealthy, okay? And they chose to give to Christchurch, okay? And they have given to us for actually several years, okay? And if you're, Cody's nodding, if you're aware of me, I don't know what's going on. I don't know, want to know what the left or the right hand is doing, and that's, that's the way I want to keep it. Well, I, I have been aware that they have settled into other churches and things like that, so they're routing their giving from Christchurch to their churches, which is fine. Good. But it is put, speaking of budgets, it's put a strain on our budget. So um, I want you to know that, and, and uh, I just ask you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit to give. Um, if we need to adjust my salary down to offset and Stevens, we'll do it. And that, hey, that is fine. Um, but, but it's like what I said last Sunday. Everybody needs to own it. We need to be all in in the church. Everybody's all in. You have to have balance between giving and receiving. If everybody's a taker and, and, and you're, you're benefiting from Christ church and you own nothing in giving back, that's not healthy. Nor is it healthy for a few people to do all the giving. That's not right either. There's gotta be balance between giving and receiving. So, um, all right, it's already, you guys are so gracious to, to, to let it be this long. What a joy, and uh, you, you've blessed my heart. 
Wow, Lisa can tell you the anxiety and the burden of what it, uh, just getting ready for all these things. So I, I, need, I need to bless you all. Abba, Father, thank you. Thank you for the grace that I find in this church. Um, thank you that they're so good to take care of me and Steve. Uh, Abba, Father, we, like the woman weeping at your feet, or the woman breaking an expensive alabaster jar to pour, nard on your head as a symbol of honor and love for you. We get to worship out of grateful hearts. Our sins, which are many, are forgiven, and we get to worship you. Help us to worship you generously. You love a cheerful giver. Lord, I love you, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.